0: Please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun.
1: This is Creativity in Captivity and I'm Pat Hazel. My guest today has enjoyed success as a comedian, a theatrical producer, a professional MC, a world-class marketer, a contortionist and a pancake juggler. As a variety performer, he's made appearances with Conan and Jay Leno. For many years, he hosted TripAdvisor's number one show in Los Angeles, Scott Neary's Booby Trap, that showcased the greatest collection of eclectic variety acts for entertainment hungry audiences. Coming up is my conversation with the creator of the gig entertainment ramp, Scott Neary. That
0: spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free or captive to a mystery. The curse of creativity. La 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 Thank la, you. La, la, oh man. Thank you to everybody that's clapping at home.
1: Okay, and you know, Scott, this is a podcast, so that's probably one person clapping by themselves.
0: That's great. Well, thank you for clapping by
1: yourself. On your Facebook today, you describe yourself as the type that likes hot glue, duct tape, bailing wire, zip ties, spring clamps, binder clips, and ratchet straps. I'm going to ask you to pick two.
0: Zip ties and binder clips, I think, would be my top. I use binder clips for closing bags of chips and holding index cards together and doing temporary fixes to things, and then I use zip ties for all kinds of permanent solutions
1: but your zip ties are part of your everyday carry
0: i always have zip ties
1: and binder clips with me have you thought about getting a sponsor in the binder clip division (laughs) they're so they're so inexpensive (laughs) i don't know i don't know what their margins are (laughs) for those (laughs) but you don't when you don't think of somebody like you don't think of the binder clip guy so why can't you be that that's true. I would love to be some kind of guy. I think you've found a seat at the center of the variety universe. And part of it has to do with your eclectic interest and your toolkit of talents. I mean, now you're redefining yourself because you're helping other entertainers to thrive and strive to have better pay and that sort of thing. But your sort of fame and fortune has come from variety, hasn't it?
0: I feel like I've been on this path of, Eventually, I'll be in a place where I can help all kinds of entertainment be better. You know, like you look back and you see the past of everything. And I think something as a kid, I was very into other people, into helping other people and not helping myself. I would get in trouble a lot for things that didn't really matter. I don't know, I went through a lot of hard stuff just because I sacrificed myself in order to help other people. Like, I would get in trouble when it was somebody else's fault. Nobody would ask me whether it was their fault. So I just, like, took the punishment so that they didn't have to. Like, when we would go sled riding, I would work on the ramp, making the snow ramp just perfect so everybody would launch off of it in an awesome way and spent very little time riding the sleds. This is a theme for me of trying to uplift other people, and then Booby Trap was another example of that. Well, I wanted audiences to experience this variety stuff in a way that, that I experienced it, which was, this is really powerful examples of human ingenuity and passion. And when you see a balloon twister, you might think it's for kids. And I wanted to show people that this dude has been working his whole life so he could make the best dog out of latex. And he's done it because he cares about opening people up to a new world or giving them joy instead of the hardness, the struggle of their life. So I tried to make Booby Trap that pedestal for performers to be on and went through a lot of like blood,
1: sweat and cheers. To get the listener on board, Booby Trap is Scott's show that was running in Los Angeles. How frequently did the show go up?
0: It started in 2015 and it was running every Wednesday, no matter what. We had shows on Christmas and 4th of July and everything. And we did it every single week until um, Squirrels took over. Or no, it was COVID. Yeah, it was COVID that
1: stopped it. You curated this show and the shows were different every wednesday when you talk about the the balloon twisting guy this is the passion that somebody has to run the 1 minute mile or to go to the moon that these people devote themselves to this and you were finding performers like this so i just want you to give them sort of the overview of what your average wednesday night was like
0: you enter through a back alley into a club that's on hollywood boulevard so it seems like it would be glamorous to be on hollywood boulevard you're actually entering this building that doesn't really, nothing happens there. It's one of those places. Walk in, down a little hallway, and then all of a sudden you say, wow, because you're in this crazy rock club showroom kind of thing. Then you sit in folding chairs. If you use the bathroom, the soap is too thick to come out of the dispensers. And you (laughs) you sit in a folding chair and there's a weird introduction Scott Neri comes out on stage in a bedazzled suit and tells you a monologue about where Booby Trap came from that doesn't make any sense, is slightly funny and obviously improvised and a lie. Then he introduces you to a circus act that is bonkers good, really good, four minutes long. And as an audience member, you just feel like it's a gift you get to sit there and watch it and enjoy it it's not demanding anything of you which is different from a normal la show then scott comes back out introduces the next act who is a a grown man dressed up like a caterpillar who eventually emerges from the caterpillar and it turns into a disgusting moth four minutes long then there's a cavalcade of 12 other acts that happen and various magicians, comedians, musicians, circus trapeze artists hanging from the ceiling. And Scott is coming out to make comedy and there's a house band, all this crazy stuff.
1: But is that a dozen performers or more in a night?
0: Yeah, usually it was around 15 performers.
1: It's a um, epic bombardment of talent that you, as an audience member, if if you'd been once you kind of got excited to come again. Your curation was a big part of what continued to draw people back to it because they were always surprised.
0: There were a ton of things that I just like wanted to do right that I had not seen in other shows or had been little pieces of other shows. One of them was comedy clubs often promote a show based on the headliner. They bring in somebody. They don't care if they're good. They just care if they are going to sell tickets. So they burn through customers because you come to see a guy that's been on one sitcom one time and he does a crappy job with stand-up and then you don't really want to go back to that club or you don't want to go back until you see another headliner that you're interested in meeting i wanted to do the opposite i didn't want to share the lineups of who was going to be there i wanted people to come every time because they knew that i was going to be dependable that i was going to deliver them something awesome. So yeah, curation was really important to me.
1: And in that curation, what was your mission statement or your mantra that kept you pointed to True North?
0: That kind of thing that I was talking about, about the passion of entertainers, though it wasn't explicit in my thoughts, it was a constant thing that was driving me. So if I found those passionate people, they would deliver and they were ready to do something cool. So like a lot of The mid-level performers that I found through my career, mid-level performers are often selfish, they're scared, they're demanding and adversarial. The top performers, I would tell them it was four minutes. Nobody has a four-minute set, but I set them up with a great audience so that it works. And the top-level performers would say, yeah, sure, or whatever. And then mid-level performers would often say like, Uh, Can you give me a little bit more time? Can you pay me more money? That was kind of like clarifying to me as time went on. Like I started seeing like, oh, I don't even want those people in my show. I don't need to worry about not paying them more. I don't need to worry about their demands.
1: Interesting tell that they indicated in the conversation to invite them.
0: Yeah, so that, that became really cool because I was also then I was surrounded by people that I liked. Then other performers were also surrounded by the people that were inspiring and it made a really good vibe. Like people would volunteer and we wouldn't, we would say like, hey, if you can't really fix this thing, then we would rather you don't come. They wanna help out, but if they're like excessively drinking and hitting on the bartender, everybody has to feel alive right here. And everybody has to feel empowered so that we can all make something great together.
1: Yeah, I think you're always focused on making the audience experience better and the conditions for the performer the most enjoyable. If that audience is hostile or something, nobody wants to come back to survive the four minutes. That's where the fireworks should be going off.
0: There are dudes that were doing five-figure gigs across the country. They fly home and after they get off the plane, they run over, rush over to Booby Trap to do four minutes. After they just got like a 1,500 seat room to clap for them, they still wanted to do
1: a more fulfilling
0: show at Booby Trap.
1: I think I first heard your name from Mike Lacey. He owns the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach, and he's often offered showcases to all comics and comedy variety acts to be able to showcase for television shows or to open for bigger entertainers. It was really always the most welcoming environment. And I think similarly, he chose to pick acts that had a respect for his club and their own talent and he said to me you and Scott Neary should be friends as I was leaving town I had was moving to Austin Texas and I go well that would be cool if I met him it was really only in the last year or so that we came into each other's orbit a little bit more for those that are listening Scott Neary's booby trap was not your garden variety variety show it was a place that as he's described sort of became a Algonquin Roundtable for variety artists to be able to hang out together and to see what people were doing and to experience the what I would call the highlights of people's act because they always wanted to show off to their friends. It was the yachting club of uh, variety acts.
0: And it was a meritocracy too. Like you were there because you could kill. There wasn't a clique or a class, or a lot of us feel like we're outcasts as we got into entertainment as, outcasts. We didn't have those kind of barriers of like, you got to be cool or anything like that. Like you're here because you kill. And if you stop killing, you're not here. (laughs) I like that. And that's it. And that was the only barrier to entry really. And then other performers would come and be in the audience too. And they would develop and grow and aspire. And it was great. And our introduction from Mike was too short. (laughs) We didn't really know who each other was. We got to see each other on stage one time, I think. And our relationship has been growing slowly. And yeah, I feel like we have a big future together.
1: I am curious, before we move on to some other areas that I think you're thriving in, is having done that for all those years, what for you was the most unusual performer that you ever showcased at Booby Trap that you couldn't believe you were putting in front of that audience?
0: There is some like really absurd performers Sethward is is a performer who's gone on America's Got Talent for like f- five seasons or something. He keeps going on because he's kind of a prank that the judges have to deal with. He's like very weird and he's the guy that dresses like a caterpillar. Then there are other performers if it wasn't four minutes long, If it was longer than four minutes, you wouldn't feel safe as an audience member. It would be very challenging. And many things in the show were things that you wouldn't ask to watch, and then you're glad that you saw them in that sandbox. So one of them was Lilia. She just was so extreme, and she would play electric guitar and do acrobatics at the same time. She would do like a handstand while playing death metal on guitar and screaming and stuff. And it was like too much and it was great. I feel that entertainment needs to be disruptive. I get really bothered when somebody says, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Cause I'm like, no, don't sit on the front of your seat. Live a little, breathe, have your heart rate raised. Come on, let's do this. You can, you can sit back and relax and watch Netflix or Instagram. Go for it. We're here to do something different. We're here to change ourselves and connect with each other.
1: Yeah, there's an old rock promotion saying that was that you're gonna have to pay for the whole seat even though you're sitting on the edge of it. Yeah, That's kind of what booby trap was. Yeah. (laughs) So you have created a kind of a new way for entertainers, gig entertainers to look at things in the gig entertainer survival kit. So I want you to help those that aren't gig entertainers to understand what that phrase means, what it means to be a gig entertainer first.
0: There are certain people in entertainment that are on long contracts. They're like a producer who's working for Netflix on a permanent contract or something. And there are people that are, that were booked on project to project so that's that's who a gig entertainer is somebody that's working in entertainment that does a pro that gets hired for a project at a time
1: so going gig to gig for them means there's no 401k there's no insurance policy it's typically somebody who works alone and i have been experiencing your gig entertainment survival kit cuz i have sat in on and participated subscribed to see how you're doing and what you're covering and the eclectic nature of to be on a Zoom, let's say, where three people are bubble makers and there's a live mermaid and there's a strongman storyteller. This is something from Pee Wee's Playhouse. And yet every one of them is very sincerely searching for better conditions, better work, more of a shout out, a way to sort of make their show better and you have broken this down. I don't wanna give away the farm here, so whatever you wanna share or don't you wanna share, but I know that you are covering a lot of territory and trying really hard to build it around the needs of the entertainers because you have fought this battle. You're one of the guys who went down in the quicksand to your eyelids and pulled yourself out. Kind of explain to me how you came to think of sharing this information as if you were packing a really nice sled ramp
0: when i was a kid i went to church i went to a fundamentalist church my parents didn't go they were agnostic and atheist i went to a fundamentalist church because i was looking for answers i wanted things to be black and white in the world i would obsess about things and everything would be wild and crazy and i just needed somebody to tell me this is wrong this is right and i've spent a lot of my life trying to question what's going on in the world and then trying to put it into black and white terms for myself and for other people and so this is a strength that i grew a lot when COVID happened i started blogging every day and getting like really good about how i put together my career and stuff like that and i started working with performers talking to them candidly about their businesses and finding out that they had a collection of problems all together which included They didn't have the knowledge of what other people were doing because they're so isolated. They didn't have the mental health that they needed to progress. They didn't have productivity methods that would help them. And all these things were holding them back from taking action toward things. A lot of performers, we lose track of why we started doing it in the first place and where our passion is. So we start to think like, I need to sell a TV show instead of, i want to reach a whole bunch of people with pure joy they have daunting tasks ahead of them that pointed toward goals that aren't fulfilling
1: or are only fulfilling for the moment of achievement because the purpose of doing all of it goes away you say i need the hundred dollars or i need the credit on that tv show and literally the second you achieve it you're unsatisfied
0: then when we get more experienced we see there's a chance that we're going to be unsatisfied with every goal that we set So why even set big goals? But on the positive side of that, we have passions inside of us. We have plenty of opportunity to make good things happen for ourselves. And if somebody is an advocate for us, then we can move forward and do our dreams. We can live our dream lives. So that's what I try to do is I try to really listen to people and help them to move forward. I've read a lot of books. A lot of people are offering courses and stuff like that that are just kind of packets of information those things can be helpful i'm trying to make a thing that gets people immediately into action without with giving them the minimal amount of information that they need to just get started
1: action seems to be the key to make the action happen you have to understand it, what it is you really want to achieve so like i always say to people don't mistake emotion for action because when you look at spinning desserts in a carousel of a diner, they all look good. They're moving so fast, I can't even decide. Do I want the coconut cream pie or the apple strudel? And then when it stops, you go, wait a minute, these have been spinning in that case for six hours. Like, these aren't that amazing.
0: I'm sure this happens for you because you're always like helping out other people, creative people. You get in a conversation with somebody and you go, oh, you're about to waste your week on this stupid thing. Why don't you just send a text message to this person right now and let's not do any of that. I I love that. I love that ability to just cut out all this crap that people thought was there. Like one guy, he came to me for a new website and I was like, okay, let's talk. And it came down to he wanted to quit his day job so he could be a full-time magician again. So I was like, the website's fine.
1: You just need to go quit.
0: (laughs) If you need to make this money right now, let's reduce your work hours to the minimal amount of work you need to do to not get fired because he was working like 14 hour days and, the, and his bosses didn't appreciate him. So I was like, okay, so what if you did four hours of work a day? Would they even know? But then I was like, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to contact all your past clients and, and reconnect with them and get some rebookings. And then when you get on the phone with them, you're going to have a quick negotiation and you're going to get the booking for more money than you've ever gotten. So he didn't know that was possible by himself.
1: Well, let's pause here on negotiation because it is a strong thing that gig entertainers have a dilemma with. Self-negotiation for people is often this concern that they want to get the work and they want to be liked. And if you and I negotiate for somebody, that emotion is not even involved. We can describe their value and all that. And again, I think you have a unique talent. You have a business brain as well as an artist brain. And we have, many friends that are wildly talented and they are artists of all kind. They are visual artists. They are choreographers. They are plate spinners. And what they're not is they don't have a business sense or a, it's not even that they're people pleasing because that's not quite right. It's the idea that they don't want the gig to go away. They're afraid to say no. So they put all control in the other person's hands what do you want, what, how much do you want to pay, and that sort of a thing. Because I ask a lot of questions and they're never about the fee. If I'm dealing with theaters, I say, tell me about your theater. How many seats do you have? How many shows are we doing? What's the capacity? What's your average ticket price? Like I, I know the lay of the land about what they can afford and can't afford even before we even talk about the price. And because they're happy to, they're happy to talk about their own facility and the history and the other kinds of acts they've had like me, and I find that it's just a much more friendly approach. And then if they say, no, 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 don't worry about that, we can get sponsors, they can tell me where the other money comes from before we get to the money. <laughs> Sometimes you get a hard person to negotiate with where all they want to know from you is the price. How much is it, Scott? Scott, tell me how much it is. <laughs> but that's the end of the conversation if you reveal that, isn't it?
0: It could be. The easy way to do that is you tell them if they're if they're just bulldozing you, You tell them the price and ask them a question. You tell them, okay, I don't really know anything about your gig. Let's say you are next door to me. It is tonight, so I don't have to block out a time in my schedule. You have a full stage tech crew and you are ready to go with an audience seated in the dark and good lighting on stage. You have this thing and this thing and this thing. Then I can say, here's here's what my price would be for that. So after you give the price, then you give a question. This is a, like a classic sales technique, because then it gets them involved in the conversation and it gets them thinking. If they're thinking about money, then it's not really helpful to them. Nobody is really trying to buy an entertain, entertainer that is the lowest price. It's it's just like you said. It's like collaborative. Like I'm trying to fall in love with this person and help them. So I can help them by helping to clarify what their objectives really are and prudence is a very strong emotion emotional drive people want to feel like they're getting the best deal you can approach that and talk about that say i understand that your your budget's tight you're really trying to get the very best you can and i want to help you get the best you can so maybe that's me maybe that's somebody else and i'm going to try to help you figure that out
1: to credit you that is being of service i often know that my price is too high for the person calling and I feel to myself, okay, well, this is not a hang up. This might be a referral to a friend. This might be any number of things, but they might be calling for a $100 act at a hardware store opening. And I don't do that. And I don't even know that for the best circumstances that I would choose to do it, but I do like to hear them out. And I will say that during COVID, I was certain that I was not gonna do any gigs on Zoom for many reasons. But I didn't think it was favorable to the audience and I didn't think it was favorable to me because Zoom (laughs) cuts to the last noise made. So if somebody was feeding a horse carrots, that's what the camera was on. If they were blending a drink or sweeping the ground, because people got caught up in all kinds of activities and the person telling the jokes wasn't gonna hear the laughter if they had to mute everybody. The conditions were so bad, I just said to myself, I'm not gonna do that but I won't leave people for dead. If they call and ask for entertainment, I'm gonna ask, what are you trying to do? And one person said, well, we have a law firm, we have uh, 45 people, we wanna get them together on Zoom in some way. As they began to describe it, I go, okay, well, that's not me. So, how long do you wanna do this for? And they said, well, we'd kinda like to try to find a way that people can have something, some sort of community, and then we want to have some kind of performance. It happened to be that I live in Austin, and this was not a national thing, it was a local thing. So I said, what if we take your budget, what if we take part of your budget and go to specs and get everybody the same bottles of wine, the same cheese and sausage and so forth. We'll have a delivery person drop them at all 40 houses at 5.30. Work will be over. The doorbell will ring, they will get their cheese and crackers and whatever. And we'll have maybe a flight of three wines and somebody will describe to them. So they're all doing the exact same activity, what they're drinking, what cheese they should pair with it. And they will not be in a zoom thing where they're talking over each other. And it was going to be some sort of event. And then I thought, well, what will, what classy will go with that? And everybody was out of work. Everybody I knew that was in a touring Broadway show, and I happened to have a friend that was playing the King in Hamilton in San Francisco, and and Rick was willing to sing a couple of songs, and he got two peers. We had three Hamilton singers, and we called it a ham jam. And so it was wine and cheese and some songs from Hamilton. It was born from hearing what was important for them to have a sense of community, and I did nothing except facilitate it, it was so hopeful because I would introduce it. I would say who these singers were and put them on camera and they would blow your minds with the song from their living room and and they were getting paid, which was felt great to me, was that they weren't completely out of work. It was still an amazing uplifting thing during COVID to be a part of. And I got something out of just listening to them every time. It made my night.
0: I think this is what Mike Lacey saw in- the two of us. (laughs) Cause I did the same thing. I wrote a blog post. It's probably, it's still up that said that zoom shows suck. And I didn't want to do parking lot shows or zoom shows. I ended up doing like a few five figure gigs on zoom because in the same kind of way, like one of them was, we want you to host a game show we want you to host a series of game shows for our staff and i looked at what they were trying to do what the game shows were how they were trying to operate it i was like this sucks this it was like four employees they were picked at random and 400 employees were to watch them for an hour winning prizes from the company like huge prizes i said okay i can host it for this much money if you give me all the script and everything i'll just do that thing or you can Pay me 12 times as much and I'll like actually make this thing good. Yeah, I reconfigured the whole thing. Found a tech guy, found joke writers and graphics people. Like I could write and I can write and I can design, but I wanted to get it all done. So I hired out for people and it was fun to hire people in COVID too. Yeah, for me. And then it was and then I hired performers and I did the same thing for a school fundraiser. They wanted to do an auction online. And I was like, it isn't about the auction. It's COVID and you need people to feel like they're together. Everybody is willing to give you money for the school, but they need to feel like the school is doing something and they need to feel like they're in it together. So I made this whole like robot character that was coming to destroy the school because they were creating future leaders. If future leaders blossom, then robots end up just doing crappy jobs like self-checkout.
1: Humans were taking robots' jobs. Humans are taking all the good
0: jobs in the future. <laughs> so this robot is coming back in time. The only way to defeat them is by by donating money. I showed up at their school assemblies, did magic tricks over Zooms, and then did the event, and it ended up making a bunch of money. It was great.
1: It is interesting when you, when you reframe why and how you raise money, too. Like, if the goal there was to stop the robots versus make more money for the school. (laughs) It's just kind of a fun narrative. And
0: it had to be fun because it was so much more voluntary. They had run galas every year in person. And that's like a little bit of an obligation to show up face to face. You have like so many different things that drive a person to go to a gala. The Zoom event, they need to pay like 100 bucks, I think, to go to watch a Zoom thing. And they needed to do it with with their kids. The galas were always adults so i had to make it like fun for the family to experience this thing together
1: i did a similar thing for the omaha children's museum only part of the nudge was how much would you pay not to go to a gala this year (laughs) perfect i'll tell you what zoom did for me in that period of time is it made me look at the technology not for uh, just the simple communication but to have a gala online couldn't be more boring but to use that same screen to put on a television show, which is what you did and what I did, which is essentially to make programming that's worth sitting in front of your screen for with your family, that is quite a different goal and it, and it, it leaves people with a different feeling. We even created fake commercials and products to be in the middle of it, which really was super fun because hiring voiceover people and animators and people who were out of work who I would have used Normally, when I direct a commercial here in town, I'm probably hiring a half a dozen people or more to do specific things. And I knew they were all not working. So we made up COVID-based things like a hotel. It was called the Shelter Inn. And we were making commercials for the Shelter Inn or it wasn't uh, just any resort. It was the last resort. But we sold them the features of their own house, their own laundry room available 24-7 and all this kind of stuff. But what was cute about it is that we made, I thought, high-level parody commercials. And once they aired, we realized they had value to other companies that were having Zoom meetings and stuff. So we began to change the voiceover and identify it as Tableau's Bizjamas. We made these business pajamas, which were business on the top, pajamas on the bottom, so you could sit in a Zoom meeting right out of bed. (laughs) And kind of a silly, funny thing that was nothing but a notion, but by action, by following through and making it and making the commercial, Tableau played it at their global live stream. And afterwards, it was their highest rated thing at the conference was, we love BizJamas. When they came to the end of the year, Tableau asked for permission to produce BizJamas to send to all of their employees for because
0: you you owned the IP for
1: that. <laughs> and they said, what would that cost? I go, it's gonna cost you whatever it costs you to make them, but you're gonna have to send me a pair. I got my Biz Jammas in the mail, which only reinforces something that is a crazy and important for any of our friends, which is when you have a weird notion, if you follow through with it, whether it's for a laugh or whether it's for a performance or whatever, it does take that action of completion half finished things never make it to the marketplace they certainly don't get to be amplified or scaled up or anything of that nature now i'm not going to make millions from biz jamas but getting a pair a real live pair in the mail as a thank you made me think oh i'm glad i didn't just think that in bed and not because the very first one, my son, we were all stuck at home together, three of us, right? So I have a son that's a film school grad who was shooting stuff on an iPhone and it was born really out of whimsy.
0: The thing that I want to talk about is the, the two things that are striking to me about that is that you gave them full permission for free to use your thing. And I think that I see a lot of performers getting into this like trying to get as much money out of their clients as possible they have an adversarial approach to their gigs. What happens is we get really screwed by that because we don't want to do the work because it sucks. We're constantly fighting for ourselves instead of like working with awesome people that appreciate us and collaborating with them. And so I think it's cool that you like, you have that same approach that I would have. Like this doesn't cost me anything for them to produce biz Right now, I've already done all the work. I already got paid for the work of creating it. I mean, if they're gonna come back to me and consult with me on how to develop the product, then that's a different thing. But if they're just gonna go off and do it, that's cool. That's great. The other thing that's striking to me is the title of the podcast is Creativity in Captivity. And creativity sometimes makes me feel itchy because people, a lot of times, just think it's about being imaginative or dreaming. Like, oh, he's so creative because he does a weird thing. But like for me, creativity is creating stuff. You're you're not done with creativity until something happens, until you're sharing something with other people. So that's like important to me. Like how do I create stuff myself that isn't just a dream, that isn't a half finished project, but is like out in the world, in some form.
1: Well, that is why I'm so attracted to makers. We had Adam Savage on here. We had a woman named Simone Yetch. I don't know if you've seen her on YouTube, but she's awesome. And then recently we had Mario, the maker magician, and he does all kinds of cool stuff with cardboard robots. But really at the core, he is an encourager. He is saying to people, use what you have, do what you love and have fun doing it. You love him, but you love that you now have gotten a booster shot and that you can go do something because you see a guy who makes his props and makes it all happen I I do feel like creativity covers an awful lot of territory. In the title of this show, originally, it was intended to be that I had you as a guest and that I got to hold you captive for an hour and study you and then set you back off into the wild. It happened to fall in sync with when everybody was home sheltered in place. This is what we call a COVID baby in that it was a product of not being able to use my talents as a performer on stage to not direct commercials. Writing was the only safe thing I could do. I looked at what is my favorite thing to do? It's to have creative conversations with my friends on the phone to solve problems, to dream stuff up, to make things happen. What if I could make those conversations open to the public but not be discussing something that you have a non-disclosure on that we're trying to solve for you, but more general discussions of the creative process. And as a result, every episode we make is a thing that's made. It's one hour of water cooler talk on creativity, on the arts, and it is the gift that keeps on giving to me every time I do it. I don't think I would have done it without everything coming to a dead stop. I don't think I would have made time for this, and now it is something that I treasure and that I put a pin in my calendar. I get to talk to Scott Neary on this day. And now 150 episodes later, I look back and I think, oh, every one of them leads to something else. I, I was just thinking about Jake Shamabakuro, who's one a, a world-class ukulele player. And in our conversation, I'm only repeating this quote because I think it applies to the world that you're in. There's a saying, a ukulele will get you through times with no money better than money will get you through times with no ukulele. So it doesn't really matter what that variety talent person you're talking to, they have a passion to do something and as you say, they lose their way on why they chose to do it. I know that in your Gig Entertainer Survival Kit you give a lot of tools. I hope that people go to your website or go to your Facebook or find that. I know that they can go to scottneary.com and it's Scott with one T.
0: Scott? S-E-O-T dot fun slash kit is the direct page for that. This conversation has brought up an interesting thing for me of thinking about how important passion is. We talked about collaboration with clients. I want to align with people that are on the same mission as me. It's like the cobbler has no shoes. I can do marketing for other people, but it's really difficult to do it for myself. What I'm realizing right now is that i thought it was funny to have a bunch of ai images that were pretty messed up looking in order to promote the thing because i thought like it's a survival kit it's about the future being unsure and being crazy so i thought like i'll have these ai images and that'll be fun and then people are like kind of like put off by them and said like i'm a creative person so ai is destructive to my industry I also think that like somebody that uses AI so cheaply, isn't really gonna put together a good product. It seemed like cold to them or something. And then I realized that what they really wanted to hear was that I have a good heart, that I care about them. I care about making great entertainment and that's why I'm doing this. So I've I've been reevaluating all my stuff that I'm doing.
1: You're starting to put the I back in AI.
0: (laughs) Yeah and it's not intelligence let me guarantee you so uh yeah like am i allowed to have epiphanies on this show
1: yeah in fact it's
0: awesome that's a cool realization for me thinking about how i need to share my passion more than i need to share even what is happening with the survival kit i have a deep passion for making the most entertaining world we can And I'm trying to work with other people to do that.
1: To have you restate your mission statement there is a great way to wrap out. And I will say that for a long time, because my business was humor and my company's tagline was your humor resources department. uh, It always reminded me that that's what I'm in it, right? And the sort of three word thing was fun, funny, and favorable, which covered the comedy. And it also covered the favorable was how we get paid, how we get treated, all of those things. And it really has allowed me to say no to things that weren't favorable to me or to my colleagues or to the client. And sometimes I I do, I say to them, it's not favorable to you, you can't recover your money with those seats and that number of ticket sales. So maybe what we can do is guide you to something more local, something equally as good, but might be drawing from a local uh, musician or somebody who can draw a crowd for you, start on that grassroots level, those people come back a year, three years, five years later saying we're thriving and now we have the money. They, they always appreciate the service that you provide. And I think that you're a guy that thinks that way and I'm grateful that you're able to share it with others. You're an advocate for better pay, better conditions, and I think encouraging gig workers to get out of their own way sometimes they have a tendency to write better excuses than they do material and they spend a lot of time on it
0: yeah every single one of us i think it's so nice to have somebody to listen to us and and hear all the crap that's in our head and people need to be listened to and they need hope and even if they think i want to make 15 percent more on my gigs what they really what they need the most in order to do that is they need somebody to listen and give them hope.
1: You can learn more at Scottneary.com, S-C-O-T-N-E-R-Y. Thanks, Scott, for being my guest today. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us. We know you have many choices in the podcast universe, so we appreciate you investing the time to be a part of our creative community. Creativity in Captivity is produced by Sweetwood Creative in Austin, Texas, with support from co-producer and audio wizard, Tucker Hazel. This episode was edited by the Right Honorable Tanner Dykstra. Original theme song written and sung by Maya Sharp. Additional support and technical jiggery-pokery provided by Diane Johansson and Tony Deo of Ghost Runner Records. Feel free to check out our archived episodes at creativityincaptivity.fun. You're hearing that right. It's .fun. So much fun. The punctuation can't even follow it. Ciao for now. Staring at an empty
0: page Stepping on a ghost-lit stage A circus of uncertainty You're call